Welcome to another episode of Belong Starts Here. In this podcast episode, I had the pleasure of talking to Denise Blake. Denise is one of those rare people that took her trauma and not only healed herself from it, but is taking active steps to become better at healing others and gaining as much knowledge as she can to not only learn from her past and her experiences, but also learn from the knowledge and the wisdom that's already out there and figuring out her own ways to incorporate into the trauma survivors that she works with. Denise has many titles and roles, including uh, a certified health, wellness, and trauma recovery coach, mental health first aider, certified fitness instructor, and registered cardiology technologist. Denise, when you speak to her, as you'll experience later on in this episode, has a very logical yet captivating way of speaking uh, in general, and especially speaking about trauma, her own trauma, and just creating those positive habits. And when you do that, she shows you how it really reduces or even avoids the effects of lifestyle diseases um, to navigate the trauma, healing, and recovery journey. And she really wants you to focus on learning to love yourself unconditionally. It's a simple term, but it's a loaded, complex idea that really takes a lot of time because there's so many layers to it. What she really focuses on is building individualized systems. And the key word being individualized because what works for Denise, what works for one of her clients might not work for you. And that's why there's really no one guide that can truly help you with that individualized system. There's overall catalyst umbrellas, which she shows you in some of the guides that she has. But it's important to work one-on-one with someone that not only has been in your shoes, but sat in your mind. So when she creates these individualized systems, you really do reach your full potential in life and in wellness. So please welcome Denise Blake. Thank you for inviting me to be on here. I've been following you for, well, since the beginning, really. And I love to see all the new people that you have on and to listen to all the stories and the motivation and the inspiration that everybody can put out there into the world. And you're providing that for everyone to have a voice. So that's really great. Thank you, Denise. That really means a lot to me. And when I started Blowing Starts here, I really went into it with the mindset of, I, you know, same as you, been through trauma, have healed from it or thought I fully healed from it. But what my podcast guests, you included, have taught me is that it's always a journey. It's never an end point. It's not a race. There's no finish line. And when you think of it as a layered journey, you you know that there's always more to learn. And I've learned so much from my podcast guests 
that I've immediately implemented into my life. And I remember during our call together initially, you really gave me kind of a viewpoint of there's some things that you can do for yourself that doesn't need to be a long layer. It can be a moment. It can be 10 seconds. It can be as easy as breathing and how you breathe and really just tuning in and listening to your body quickly throughout the day. And when you take those small steps, you really do garner that confidence in your own body and how you feel and it adds up into a long layer so it's really easy for trauma survivors especially to get overwhelmed with their healing Um, and one of the things that I really like about what you do Denise and how you express healing is that it doesn't have to be this huge master list of tasks that you need to do it can really just be about listening to what you need and implementing some plan or some even as simple as breathing exercises into your daily routine and when you start to take those really small steps you realize how much better you could feel and it motivates you to take those bigger leaps When talking to Denise, I asked her what part of trauma healing, what is really kind of the next step? What part should we focus on first when we feel overwhelmed and don't know where to start? Because a lot of people think that you really need to readjust your thinking, your cognitive beliefs. But in reality, if you don't focus on self-care, your mind can't fully comprehend what you're trying to heal because your body is telling you something different. So this is what Denise had to say. You can deal with all of the things in your mind, but if you don't take care of your body, then it's not going to work. You know what I mean? Like you, you have to do both. So like I work out a lot. I walk, I hike, anything in nature is like therapy for me. Um, and I have a lot of allergies, but I'm like, okay, I'll take a reactant or Benadryl or something. And this is not a plug either for either of those allergy meds. So. <laughs> but kudos to the allergy uh, companies <laughs> for letting me get out in nature. And, and it's really my therapy. Um, and, you know, and you can work out all you want. And so it's like vice versa. I mean, I've been working out since high school and that was my go-to. But then like in my 30s, I started to realize my mental health was starting to decline and I didn't really focus on that aspect until it was noticeable and like you're kind of already in it then right so um, you take care of your body and then you take care of your mind and vice versa because it's all intertwined and that's basically what I teach my clients so it's it's health wellness and trauma recovery like everything is intertwined together so yeah self-care is the first and foremost self-care and self-love. So right there, Denise may not have even noticed it, but she brought up a very interesting point. She talks about how, you know, when you're trying to better yourself, your body or your mind makes you, eventually just makes you focus on what you need to and says, hey, you know, you're, you're working out, that's great, but 
I need you to take care of your mind or vice versa. And when you start to do it, there may be some walls that you hit or some kind of obstacle that stands in your way. And some people might take that as a sign to not go out in nature because they have allergies. And some people might say, you know what, I know I need to do this. I know this will make me feel better. What can I do to get over it? So when you're healing with your trauma and you're really trying to focus on self-care and self-love, and there is a difference, it might be easy to give up on what you know your body needs, but I encourage you to not take that as a sign to divert your path or to step back, but instead to look at it and think, how can I go over it, go under it, move it? What can I do to get past it? Because it's not going to be an easy path, as I know most of you know, and um, you know any trauma survivor would know. The healing journey is bumpy, and you might re-traumatize yourself. You might feel unsafe while you're doing it, but that's why Denise really focuses on the self-care and self-love mindset of going through your healing journey. So we talked about the importance of self-care and self-love, but there's another concept that's involved with self-care and self-love. And Denise talks about how self-awareness is kind of that key to listening to your body and the in-between formula to get to the outcome of self-love. So in order to have self-care, you need self-awareness, which those two ideas combined create the self-love that you want at the end. But of course, there's all these little factors that go along the way to add up to self-love. It's all trauma, whether it's on a big scale or a small scale, it, it all affects us um, and our nervous system and our mindset and how we feel about ourselves. You know, so the self-awareness part of it is what really, like when I, I started to realize my mental health was declining, that was a, a part of self-awareness. And then I started to focus on, okay, it's not just the workouts and the walks. Now it's like, okay, what am I going to do to help my mind so that when I start to feel these, whether you want to call them triggers or trauma responses or whatever, I can deal with them better because sometimes a walk just just a walk doesn't help or lifting heavy weights or like having a, a healthy meal. Yes, of course, all of it intertwined does help, but there's sometimes that you're going to need that little bit extra bit of like self-care that it doesn't have to be strenuous. You can sit down and write out three things that you're grateful for. You might be having a crappy day and be like, oh my God, this day just sucks, <laughs> right? But then you might sit down and say, okay, well, even something as simple as this cup of coffee is so good, right? And I'm able to afford it, right? And this cup is really pretty that I'm drinking from or whatever, you know, like three little things can just change your mindset so quickly. And what we're talking about here is really finding that missing piece. And that's what awareness is about, right? It's not being in go, go, go mode. It's being in go mode 
stop mode, reflect mode, divert the path, keep going. It's about really in the moment type of awareness. It's not a five-year plan. It's what can I do right now? How aware am I of what my body is feeling? I can't just put a bandage of self-love and self-care over self-awareness. So it really is finding the combination of the three. And sometimes you can even find it in humor. <laughs> like I, I put a lot of humor in things. That's just my personality, right? And I'm like, okay, well, if I have a crappy day at work, I'm like, okay, well, I have this great cup of coffee. I'm able to drink it. I can afford it. Like, and I didn't punch anybody in the face. <laughs> That's exactly what I mean. You can be in so much of, a, you know, a flight mode, a go mode, that you don't just stop and think of the little wins. And that little win could be that you didn't punch anybody in the face that day. And Denise's lightheartedness about the way that she feels, it shows a deeper understanding of her self-awareness. And it is as something as little as adding humor into your day and looking at the little wins. You know, did you really find time to be grateful for what's in front of you? Did you react in a calm manner to something you know, you might have overreacted to or have punched somebody in the face for. So it's really not a huge, you know, task to bring self-awareness to your day. As I mentioned before, what I enjoyed about my conversation with Denise is that she's really someone that brings lightheartedness to your healing journey And I think that's an important concept for everyone to grasp. Um, Your trauma was heavy. Your healing will be heavy at times, but it doesn't always have to be. And having that mindset can really help you figure out who you need to lean on and who you need to bring into your circle to create that lightheartedness. It doesn't need to necessarily come from you. And one of the things that I've always talked about is when you're helping other trauma survivors and foster children through their healing journey is for you to step back and think what did I need when I was going through my healing journey in the beginning what did I need when I was at their stage of healing and really reflect on that and be that person that you needed and you didn't have I had access to therapists and counselors and things like that. And I mean, every mental health professional has their role within this community. Um, But I needed somebody that was more like a peer, somebody who had been in the foster care system, um, who had been through the childhood trauma that I'd been through. And like someone that I knew has gone through it and is educated and trained to be able to talk one-on-one without, you know, without getting a diagnosis. I like, I didn't want to be diagnosed with anything. I know. And like, there's nothing wrong with being diagnosed with anything. Like I have CPTSD and persistent uh, depressive disorder, but I didn't get that until later in life. Right. 
uh, or that diagnosis later in life. And part of the reason why is because I used to avoid getting a diagnosis because I already felt like I was broken as a child and like going, growing up through those years. Mm, That's an interesting point. And I've done this. I've, you know, stayed away from doctors. I've stayed away from counselors for a huge part of my life because I couldn't deal with having another diagnosis. But that's not what I needed. I didn't need another diagnosis. It might be important for me later on to put a label or put a pinpoint on what I'm experiencing and why I'm experiencing it. But in certain moments of your healing journey, you just need a peer. You just need someone that understands and that can listen. And that was kind of also the the bones of Belonging Starts Here. Um, I just wanted somebody who was a peer that got it, that could listen to me and not give me advice, just be there and listen. And I want it to be that for myself and to be able to come out on the other side of trauma recovery. And I mean, like you never really get out of trauma, uh, trauma. I don't know how to to say it in, in better terms, but like you're constantly healing. There's no straight line. There's no cure. It's not like a disease that you can take a, a pill and here you go. You're it's it's you're okay now, you know. Um, so all the things that I needed when I was going through my trauma recovery journey, like I took it took me a lot longer to get to where I am because I didn't have the resources that I that I wanted and that I needed. I was really worried about when I would talk to other trauma survivors and other adults that have been through the foster care journey if in talking to them and listening to their stories, was I going to be re-traumatized? And how would I deal with that? And that's kind of one of the main questions that I wanted to talk to Denise about was what is her thoughts and how does she kind of center herself and what confidence does she have that she can help others without backtracking her own progress? Some things are triggering. Some things can cause trauma responses, but I'm in a good place now where I know that it's happening, right? Like years ago, I didn't know. i be irritated and not realize why, or I'd feel like so angry inside and couldn't explain why I was angry, right? Or how I reacted or responded to somebody that was like a bit more, I'll say extreme, because I didn't know how to handle uh, my emotions and my feelings at the time. But now, and and the biggest thing that gets me through um, these sessions with my clients when I feel Uh, a trauma response or a little bit triggered myself. Um, And that doesn't happen as often because I'm able to manage those things myself with all the tools and techniques that I've learned over the years. Um, It's just the fact that this is my empathetic side. Uh, It's not just compassion. I actually feel empathy for these people because they're my brothers and sisters, literally. Right. Um, And, you know, so to be able to say that, you know what, I totally get it because I've been there. It makes a big difference. And then that just fills my heart and soul. And it kind of, that, 
that's the uh, natural response to it, I guess, when the nervous system is activated. And then I realize, okay, this is a response that I'm having myself because I can literally feel what they're feeling. Um, and then just the, the empathy just kicks in. And then I realize that, okay, it's, I'm, I'm going to be okay too, because I'm there to support that person. Denise mentioned and talked about the key to ensuring that you truly focus on the person that you're supporting through their trauma and through their healing is really focusing on compassion and empathy. And when you focus on having compassion and empathy for the person that you're supporting and helping, then you know that if you have those emotions and that is your main focus, is the person you're helping, having compassion, having empathy, then you can really focus on ensuring that you're not redirected in your own trauma and in your own triggers, that you have the practices and you have the resources in your toolkit to deal with that as it comes. But your main focus is on that compassion and on that empathy. We talk a lot about what trauma survivors would say and give advice to other trauma survivors, especially foster children in this podcast. And this is what Denise has to say about not letting your past define who you are, who you're going to be, and most importantly, your own self-awareness of the trauma is not who you are as a person. It is not who you're going to be in the future. Your trauma isn't going to be at the forefront of what makes you you. If you do the necessary steps and, and the work, the hard work of getting to understand your trauma, not get through your trauma, not get over your trauma, but to understand it. Is don't let your past define you. Just because you were in foster care doesn't mean that you're not worthy of love, safety, and belonging like anyone else. Um, I know that sometimes we kind of go down that little rabbit hole of, well, you know, I'm not good enough, or I don't deserve this, or I don't deserve that. Um, just don't let that swallow you up. Um, you can be anything that you want to be, anything that you strive for, and probably even more so because of what you've gone through, mm -hmm. right? Um, you're stronger than you realize, and you do have a unique gift to give to this world. Denise brought up another great point that we highlighted in the last podcast episode was that your trauma can drive you to success. It can lead you to accomplishing greater success than you might have accomplished if you didn't go through the lessons that you went through. So that's also something to keep in mind is that there's a lot of negatives that went along with your trauma. There's a lot of healing that you need to do, but you can take that healing and create something even better than you've imagined. Remember that resilience and having resiliency is something that can't be taught. It's something that you get and you discover 
when you go through trauma, when you have to be resilient. And Denise puts it perfectly. I always say resilience is my superpower. Yes. <laughs> like I just turned 50 in May and I was like, I'm going to get a tattoo. And that's what I did. I got a tattoo on my arm. It says resilience with a semicolon. So I it's love like that. my reminder. Yeah. I really like that. Resilience mm. is a superpower because it grows over time because you don't just struggle mm. in childhood. Mm-hmm. You also struggle when you're in your adult years and you're trying to navigate the world without the foundation of what people that grew up in healthy, stable environments grew yes. up with. I remember one of my social workers being the first person to show me that I was resilient, to tell me that I had tenacity, to kind of show me that there is something that I'm gaining throughout my trauma, throughout the journey that I'm experiencing. And this is why I always ask other trauma survivors, other foster children, what advice would they give to social workers? Because social workers play such a pivotal role in your trauma while you're going through it for most children. And this is what Denise said about the importance of listening to the child that you are helping. Social workers actually that have helped me along the way and got me out of some bad situations. Um, But there's one thing that just keeps replaying in my mind um, is the fact that don't assume that reunification is always the best thing for the child. I know like that that's the main theme nowadays, like reunification, but you know, like the situation, and I'm just saying this from my personal experience. um, I didn't want to go back to my birth family. Mm -hmm. I was removed from there because there was a very chaotic, abusive environment and a person that has done or people that have played this role in your life for like I was 12 when I left home and went in foster care so for the whole entirety of my childhood it was abuse on both sides so um, my father passed away at 12 but my mother lived on afterwards um, and they wanted me to go back with her and she didn't change she just knew how to put on a good show Mm. in front of the professionals she knew exactly what to say when they asked certain questions Um, so yeah, you know, the, the reason that we were removed should be taken into consideration. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so that's, that's the only thing I would advise social workers and they probably already know that now anyway, but it's just something that, that played on my mind when I was growing up. I think a lot of people believe that the social worker is the one and only advocate for that foster child. But more often than not, the foster parents really have an in-depth look into that child, into what they're thinking, and they spend a lot of time with that child. A social worker, on the other hand, has to make those tough decisions. But I also recommend social workers to A, listen to the child, B, look at the information that's provided to you. Why did they get removed? Is it something that could be changed? Something, as Denise mentioned, could be that they, the parent was unable to provide financially for the child. That's something that can be changed. 
other behaviors that they have no empathy towards changing or wanting to change, such as various forms of abuse, that's kind of one of those things I believe, and as Denise mentioned to me, that's not something that they want to change. That's not something that a child should ever go back into. And along the lines of a foster parent really being your advocate and um, being one of those people in a foster child's life that kind of has a pretty strong hand. One thing that I asked Denise was, you know, we talked about the advice to a social worker, but what advice would you give to a foster parent? I think it would be if you're going to do it, get in it for the long haul. Like if yeah. you're not planning on being a positive, dependable, loving force in the child's life, then don't become a foster parent. Because mm-hmm. I know in my case, I wanted my foster parents forever, right? Yeah. Like, you know, um, and my own personal experience is that I wanted somebody at my graduation, my mm-hmm. high school graduation, my college graduation, when I had my son, like at my wedding, right? All of these things and a place to come home to. Yes, when you're in right when you're in trouble and you're struggling, all the things that um, like adoptive and bio parents would be available for, then the foster parents should be available for that as well. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's the same thing you would do for your children if you actually gave birth to them yourself. Yeah. Right. True. And and, you know that that reminds me, like when you say, like we want you forever. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times like I've changed my last name on, you know, on my Facebook profile to match which family I was in because, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times I would be promised forever and then something would happen or they would change their mind. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really like one of, one of the first podcast guests I had on, he was Dan. uh, He said something along the lines of, I wouldn't kick my own kids out for making a mistake or I wouldn't, you Absolutely. know, my right. like that. Yeah. And so why would I expect the same or, or expect different things from a foster yeah. child or, right. you know, a child from a vulnerable community? So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. That's yeah. great. It's just, you know, to sum it up, it's really important to treat your foster child as you would your own child, your biological children, um, to really be that as Denise said, force in that child's life and a safety net and a safe space for them to always come back to. And Denise speaks about this from her own experience. It's something that uh, occurred in my younger years. Like I got pregnant Mm -hmm. at 21, right? I didn't have anywhere to go back to, right? I walked down the aisle when I got married with my brother and my son, right? So you know, the, I think foster parents, they have good intentions, but, you know, it's the long term as well, right? Like down yeah. the road to, to look forward for some, one, of, one of us that doesn't have a good connection with our bio parents to have that mm-hmm. option when we need it, you know? Listening to Denise's advice for foster parents, really brought up a lot of emotions for me about what I have experienced through different parenting styles, different homes, and how I always promised myself 
that when I have the honor, because it is an honor to be a parent, when I have the honor of being a parent, what am I going to do differently? And I wanted to ask Denise, because she is a mom, because she was a young mom, um, what parenting techniques did she learn from and how has her past affected the way that she parents her own child? <laughs> well, I was a single mom, so that was a struggle. But um, And I used to keep saying, like, I'm not going to let him go through what I went through. I'm not mm-hmm. going to let him go through what I went through. And that can be a double-edged sword at times because I sheltered him. Mm-hmm. and I made, But I made sure that he had everything that... I didn't have, right? But that'll only get you so far because what happened was I focused on my son for 18 years and my mental health and everything was put on the back burner. And then when he moved out and went to university, I was by myself. You go like, okay, now what? (laughs) Crap, now I got to deal with my stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And that's that's when I started to see the the mental health decline and stuff because Mm -hmm. I wasn't focused on him anymore. So, yeah. um, I mean, and it also goes back to putting putting yourself first sometimes. Yeah. And I wasn't parented. I didn't know how to parent. Right. So I had to learn as I went. And like when when I was 22, there was no internet or not within my reach anyway. Right. So I had to learn as I was going and always in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, I'm going to do what the opposite of what was done for me or to me. Right. But that, that will only get you so far. (laughs) While I was talking to Denise, a common thread that I found in our conversation was to really put yourself in the shoes of who you're helping um, to understand that you need to have compassion and empathy and to find fulfillment in helping others by showing empathy and compassion and when you do that you will feel fulfilled whether it's you know one of the people that you've helped coming back to you and thanking you whether it's a child telling you you know thank you for putting me first um it's those small fulfillments and gratification that you get that can be a motivator to allow you to keep going. And Denise talks a little bit about this. Yeah. And they're just thankful that, you know, I provided some support that was non-judgmental. It was a safe Mm -hmm. space. And one of the biggest things that I get from my clients and like, I can, I almost feel that I get that from them because I know that I'm helping without giving the the forceful advice or any kind of diagnosis or whatever, just to be there and be like, you know, I know what you're going through. Tell me just like, just to be a a soundboard, right. Um, Is just a sense of belonging. Mm. Here's another buzzword that Denise used belonging, belonging as the podcast is titled after is such a huge element of of fulfillment that children need we need to feel belong adults need to feel belong we all need to feel that we belong within ourselves 
and within our environment. And Denise talks about how belonging is really the core of what she wants to feel and what she wants her her clients to feel. And it's this buzzword that kind of centralizes the core messages of almost every advocate that I talk to creates a sense of belonging and it goes both ways because like that's the root thing that I know I felt was the lack of sense of belonging right and I think a lot of former foster youth and foster youth now current foster youth and adoptees even you know like that that's one of the things that just hits home right or hits our heart and it's the you know the one of the basic human needs, right? I mean, then there's so many different layers to needing belonging in your life. Yeah. Um, as a foster child, it's it's not you know it's it's as simple as belonging with your social worker to yeah. belonging in your school to belonging in your in your home or in your yeah. foster family too. Mm-hmm. So there's just so many things around belonging that absolutely i think if there was someone for me like you where i could have a sounding board where i could truly express what i'm going through and have them understand that would have made all the difference because i never talked to anyone during my foster care journey that also has been through foster care mm-hmm. that wasn't my sister yeah. Um, so I think like that would have helped me so much too. This is something that we hear a lot. I hear that I didn't have someone to talk to that has actually been through the foster care journey while I was going through the foster care journey outside of maybe a sibling. And it really does create a lot of wisdom within yourself when you have to go through it alone but when you reach out to other people that have also been through what you've been through or similar situation you garner not only validation for what you believe and the wisdom that you have but you're able to grow on that wisdom you're able to take others wisdom and their lessons and bring it into your own so I asked Denise where does your wisdom come from what wisdom do you have and the most important thing is how do you trust it well I mean I did have a good foster family um I had two actually I was in foster care twice so I was taken from home and um placed back with my mother and then I was placed in a group home for a couple of years and then I went to a foster home and like it was a good family but I wasn't theirs permanently right yeah. so when I turned 18 uh, because that's the the aging out um number here wisdom's this funny word that we use for the lessons that we learn from doing the wrong thing as Denise so cleverly puts it going through the school of hard knocks and Denise now shares her story of her going through the environmental situation that she went through and not always doing the right thing but gaining wisdom from it so um i i learned a lot 
through the school of hard knocks, I think, because <laughs> I did everything that you shouldn't do, right? I flunked out of college my second year because I was out partying and drinking. I was like, woohoo, no supervisors. I can <laughs> do what I want because you can drink at 19 here legally, right? Yeah. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> So we're a little further ahead with the alcohol situation here, which is not a good thing, really, because you're only 19. You're still in my yeah. mind, you're still a child, right? Like back then, I thought I was a grown adult, but no, I was not. <laughs> I was very irresponsible. I like did all the wrong things. I went down all the wrong roads and I hit bottom and I had to claw my way back out. And that's that's where my wisdom came from. was the school yeah. of hard knocks. Denise's answer to my question of where does your wisdom come from, I think is so relatable to a lot of foster care alumni because most of us have had to make those mistakes because we didn't have a sense of belonging. We didn't always choose the right path because we didn't feel like there was really anyone looking out for us or even cared what path we took. So One of the other reasons that I mentioned of my reasoning for starting Belong Starts Here is because I was curious to find if there was a common thread between all trauma survivors and especially those that have been through the foster care system, if there's a certain feeling that everyone has. And besides belonging, besides having wisdom through our trauma, Besides resiliency, I asked Denise what she felt was a common thread that she's found in working with trauma survivors. And when I asked Denise this, she added another word through the thread for trauma survivors and what they've experienced that I didn't think of before, but surely have felt. Um, I think trust is the biggest one. Mm. Um, and then, well, I mean, your trust is broken if your parents did something or didn't take care of you or whatever. I mean, like they're the people, that's the first people in your life that are supposed to protect and make you feel like you belong. So I think the trust thing is, is one. Um, and then the sense of belonging is next. Right. Um, and sense of worthiness. So, mm-hmm. you know, because you feel like, okay, well, they mustn't love me. I must not be lovable. So I'm not worth anything further, right? So so Denise added two words, trust and worthiness. And the trust piece really goes back to that self-awareness in trusting yourself in knowing what you deserve. And that goes alongside with worthiness. What are you worthy of? And I think that's why a lot of the cycles repeat themselves is because we don't feel that we're worthy of a stable, safe environment or even a relationship. It's what we've been shown. It's what we've lived through. And it's deep-rooted in ourselves. And Denise talks a little bit about conditioning. Yeah, you were conditioned and groomed by people that were not worthy of you. That's the way I look at it. Agreed. So the threads that we found through talking to trauma survivors and children that 
have gone or adults that have gone through the foster care journey is a sense of belonging, a sense of worthiness, a sense of gaining trust, building trust, and having trust. And another thing that I've found is that each and every trauma survivor has a quote that either validates what they felt, what they're feeling, or maybe serves as a reminder of their worth. Denise's quote is, don't judge a book by its cover. You don't know by looking at somebody like, both of us, you know, you can look at us and say, well, they've got all their stuff together, like they're professional women, you know, you'd never say by looking at either one of us what we've been through. Yeah, I agree. Right? You don't know, you really don't know what the person next to you has gone through just by looking at them. So, you know, spread kindness. And not judging a book by its cover, not judging someone you know, based on the way that they're presenting themselves at the moment goes alongside with showing kindness, as Denise mentioned, because especially in my experience with working with, you know, directly with clients, talking to people, being in sales, it's important to talk to someone and treat someone like they have a stormy cloud over them and you don't know what caused it. So you always want to proceed with kindness and that kindness can even lead them to not only have a better day, but also it'll bounce back and reflect on your day and on you. And Denise talked a little bit about how, you know, even just buying someone in the drive through line, their $2 coffee can be an expression of self-care on yourself because yes you're putting them first and putting the two dollars you know in front of yourself but you're actually not putting helping others in front of your own self-care because helping others is a form of self-care which is kind of the core value of what Denise does every day when she works with her clients and Denise has various forms of how you can start that healing process and she did this because she wants to really meet you where you're at whether it's taking one of her courses so you can do it at your own pace or getting that one-on-one coaching with Denise she's here to help and she's really someone that is going to not only meet you where you're at but also just not try to change that she'll sit there and she'll listen to you and I think that's such a powerful way to help others is to not go in there expecting change or expecting to change someone but going in with understanding and compassion and empathy as she talked about one quick little exercise that Denise really showed me and helped me and I implemented in my life was the 557 breathing which I want to take the time to do with you now so you inhale for five seconds hold for five seconds and then you exhale for seven seconds and you can do this 
anytime, any place. Nobody even knows you're doing it. Like um, I actually learned it when I was doing my health coaching. Um, it was just health coaching only at the time. And I learned it through the Health Coach Institute. And they were talking about how, like, you know, if you are upset when you're starting to eat, then your digestive system is not working, right? So you're not going to assimilate all the nutrients that you need. So if you're having like weight issues or digestive issues or anything like that, then this is going to help you with that as well. It's just a way to reset your nervous system really quickly. You could do it on the bus. You can do it at the movie theater. <laughs> you can be, be anywhere. So inhale for five, hold for five and exhale for seven. You can do it once. You can do it 10 times whatever works to get your nervous system reset. And like, it really does make a difference. You'll feel yourself just mm -hmm. a little bit lighter. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. It was an honor to speak with Denise Blake and get a little insight of the kind of coaching she does and tap into her wisdom. And I hope that if you learned anything from this podcast, or if you wanted to speak to Denise directly, that you do reach out to her. And Denise shares now how you can do that. My website is deniseblakecoaching.com. Uh, my Instagram is deniseblakecoaching2.0 because somebody hacked my original Denise Blake coaching. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast episode with Denise Blake. I am looking forward to continuing this podcast journey and talking to more advocates and more foster care alumni. So if you're interested, reach out to me at nipnikaco.com or at belongingstartshere on Instagram.